The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Turn to the end of the book of Genesis. Um, I'm going to read this. If you don't have a Bible, please don't worry. The verses will be up as we kind of work through our passage. Um, We are at the end of the book of Genesis. I'm finishing that up this morning. So let me read this section for us. And then... uh, We'll pray and get into the passage. Genesis 50, verse 15 to 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, that's Jacob, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of your servants of of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke. His brothers also came and fell before him. And he said, Behold, are you my servants? I'm sorry. And they said to him, Behold, we are your servants. Getting the passage mixed mixed up. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Father, as we work through this passage and end the book of Genesis, I pray that you would be near to us, that we would experience the power of faith and our hearts would experience being open to you amidst a world that is marked by death all the way through. Each of us come into this week, we think about Thanksgiving, and it's not very hard to imagine how our lives would be different and what Thanksgiving would be like if we didn't experience death in our lives. Loved ones friends, relationships, our own health. So God, as we think about these things, would you come and talk with us? And will we get your attention? And will we experience your love for us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as we end the book of Genesis, we end it just kind of like a lot of the stories that we experience today. A lot of the stories that we enjoy they usually start out with kind of big world building storylines in the first season or the first book right they set the stage for what's going on and ultimately at the end of the story they kind of zero down into one climactic event with the main character and you know they're the anti-hero you know you i just i saw just i just saw wakanda forever and it makes you know, every story ends with the main story, the main character ending up with the, the bad guy or the anti-hero at the end. And there's some like major dialogue that happens, right? This happens like at least every Marvel movie. <laughs> it happens in, you think of like Lord of the Rings, like it happens with Frodo and the end with him. I'm not trying to give any spoilers, right? Because I'm not trying to spoil anybody's experience of those stories. You have Harry Potter and Voldemort, right? You have all these stories that end with big at the beginning very small and minute, and that's where the power of the story is. <clears throat> that is what we're experiencing here at the end of the book of Genesis. 
we started out the book of Genesis, and I kind of regret not doing it at the beginning, but I, at the, the, as we kind of got about four or five sermons into the book of Genesis, I kind of realized, like, oh, the, the title of the, uh, the sermon series should just be, Hello, I'm God. Like, that's what the book of Genesis is all about, right? Hello, I'm God. This is who I am. This is what I'm like, right? So we start the book of Genesis with God saying, this is what it was like when I created the whole world. Boom, two chapters, all the stars, atoms, everything, all in these two chapters. This is what it was like. And then we get to chapter three, and we get death introduced into the picture, and then everything begins to kind of become a train wreck after that. We see how death infects our relationships with each other. We see how death infects our lives. People weren't made to die, and yet here we are. We have a 100% mortality rate on the, on the human race. Everybody who's ever lived dies. That all comes out of the effect of death in this world. We have hopes and desires. They die. We have farms and cattle. They have seasons of death. That all comes from the introduction of death into God's creation. And that's not the way it was meant to be. But death is here. That's the main foe that God faces through the whole Bible, right? You might, I'm not sure kind of how you conceive of the Bible, if it's like God versus Satan type thing. But the way Genesis portrays this for us is that sin and death are basically two sides of the same coin, and those are God's enemies that have infected everything all the way through, and God is on a rescue mission to defeat his enemy through the whole book of Genesis. That's what this book is about. Hello, I'm God. My enemy is not you. My enemy is sin and death. I'm here to save you from sin and death. And yet along the way, it's not just as clean as that. Death causes all types of things. When we say death, we're kind of using it as like a very broad category. The types of death that we begin to experience are not just like, oh, I lost a family member, which is obviously tragic. Oh, I experienced a relational death, broken friendships. But I've been, some of the deepest pains and evils that we experience are, I've been on the receiving end, the victim of somebody else's death of their own humanity. Abuse, you know, power struggles. I've been the victim of all types of things. At the end of the day, I can understand those other things, but how does God really answer the question, why is there evil that affects innocent people along the way. Why is there evil in this world, not just for, you know, you know, you have bad people, bad things happen. Why do bad things happen to good people? Like that's kind of this, the end of the story is, all right, God, if death is happening, what is happening with this whole story with you at the helm? If you're writing the story, why am I the victim? Why am I the one who experiences all this pain? See, now death is in the world, and hurt people hurt people, and that's often you and me, and God, where are you in that equation? You kind of experience, it, to me, it's kind of like, uh, I'd like to talk to the manager about this. Where is all this coming from? That's where the book of Genesis ends us with. You have the people who received this, just for a little bit of some context. This book was written by Moses to the, Egypt, to the Jewish people who had been freed from Egypt 400 years or so later. Their parents had died in the desert because they disobeyed God 
and they're looking at the world, the promised land that God's leading them into. And they're still trying to wrestle with, God, can we trust you with all the evil we've experienced and all the bad guys we've got ahead of us? That's where we kind of place ourselves in this story. And so the final person in this whole story, like we said, every big story ends with kind of these individuals, is Joseph. Joseph, through all of this, ends up being the person that we're invited into the story to be like. To consider Joseph's story, his life, and what it was like for him to experience faith in this God. All right, you guys tracking with me? We're cool? We're going to start out in this passage because we're going to look at the main point. The main point of the story is faith opens your heart to experience God through a world marked by death. Faith opens your heart to experience God, right? The, the point of this, I just want you to hear this from the beginning. The point is not to get answers to all of our questions about why. The point of this book is to get us to the author of the story that makes us ask questions. But it's to experience God himself through a world marked by death. What we're going to do is, the way the, the Bible tends to tell stories is it tends to tell stories in a con- contrasting story. Here's the people that you're not supposed to be like. Here's the people that you should be like, that type of thing. The problem for us is that we are often both. And the pull of those stories is to be towards where does God want us to be in the story. So we're going to start out. Faith opens your heart to experience God through a world marked by death. The negative picture in this is managing life without God is a prison of fear. There's one way that the Bible talks about uh, managing our lives in a world marked by death, and that is managing without God, right? We can manage our lives with God or without God, and there's not a middle ground. And we see that as evil comes into this story through Joseph's brothers. So if if you've not heard this story before, here's the brief of how we got to this point. Jacob, not me my namesake in the Bible. He has multiple wives. He has four wives. He has multiple sons by each wife, totaling 12. The youngest is his favorite. The 11 older ones decide one day, um, this little, this, the, the baby of the family, he's being a punk. We're going to uh, murder him. They decide rather than murder him, we're just going to rip his clothes off, throw him into a pit, pretend like we murdered him, and sell him off as a slave. He becomes a slave, he gets rescued out of slavery um, in Egypt through a lot of suffering. 12, 15 years of suffering in, in Egypt. Ultimately becomes basically the vice president of Egypt. Um, his brothers come to him because they're starving and they need food. And Egypt's got food. So he decides, I'm going to reveal myself to my brothers. Uh, save them from their starvation. And we're going to fix this whole family mess, right? I don't know if you've ever had family sell you into slavery, but uh, generally you, Thanksgiving dinner is awkward, right? So they patch things up. Everything gets resolved. His family moves to Egypt. His dad dies. And that's where we enter into the story. So you have this story of brothers who sold their brother into slavery and lied about it to their dad. They have everything patched up. And now the dad dies. And now they're worried is our brother going to come back to us for revenge? I mean, I can tell you 
how many movies are based on the, the premise of I want revenge for the people who did bad things to me, right? I'm not going to name any of them because they're all my favorite ones. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did him. So they sent, him a, mess- sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of, your serv- of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Right? Obviously, there's a certain sense in which their bro- Joseph's brothers are reading the room. Right? Uh, they had just betrayed their brother. Their brother has now become the most powerful person in the known world at the time. Um, he could easily commit them to death for their crimes against him, and nobody would have batted an eye. And they're reading the room and thinking, okay, everybody's been nice to us, but now that kind of the buffer between us and Joseph is dead, now the hammer's going to come down. But what we find in the story is that while that makes sense to us, they are still stuck managing the evil of their lives. Right? They had no, they, they, Joseph has done nothing in the story to tell them, you know, like, well, really, when Jacob's out of the picture, wink, wink, I'm going to go John Wick on you, right? Um, there's nothing in the story that tells them, you know, when my dad's out of the way, you're getting it. But they have this very understandable sense that now that their dad's out of the picture, we can't trust Joseph. We can't trust what we've experienced. There's nothing left for us to trust, right? They've even had visions of God from, that they got from Joseph. He was a punk about it. But they had visions from God that said, I'm going to take care of you. They didn't even trust in those visions. They were trusting in, okay, we're reading the room, street smart, we're going to get it. So how do we manage this situation? All right, let's tell Joseph, we know what we did was evil to you, but our dad gave us a promise or a request that you not kill us. The problem here is that their dad never did that, right? They're making up a story to cover for their tracks and to to basically try to like manipulate Joseph into caring for them. The reality is that what we find here is that they are still stuck in the same pattern of what happened when they threw Joseph into the pit, right? They threw Joseph into the pit to sell him off into slavery, to manage their lives so they can get their lives on their terms without Joseph. They lied to their dad about what happened to Joseph, and they're stuck in managing the evil of what they're managing their sin, managing their lives without God. Can you guys think of other people in the story of Genesis? When God provides for them, he promises them, I'm going to take care of you. Can you think of other people in the story of Genesis that manage their lives as though God didn't care for them, even though he's promised to take care of them? Anybody else come to mind? Abraham for sure, right? So Abraham's promised, I'm going to give you a son. Oh, who'd you think? (laughs) Jacob, my namesake, he does that too. God's going to make a promise, right? You'll notice there's a pattern of all these people through the story of Genesis who God promises, 
I'm going, to prom- I'm going to take care of you. And then what do they do? They say, okay, God, you're going to take care of us. We'll manage that for you. Thank you. Franchise that out. We're going to manage this for you, God. Thank you. Abraham does it, right? Jacob does it. Isaac does it. Adam does it. They all do it. The only person that doesn't do it is Joseph. This is the pattern. So here, this is the last comment on this, and we'll move on, because the more important stuff is to come. Fear limits what only God can manage. The boundaries of managing life's evils and crises is limited by our, our imaginations. It may be that we've done evil or sin, right? I did X, I need to cover over. How do I manage? How do I right? think about it like, how do I not let mom and dad know that I did whatever, right? Oh no, I did this. How do, how do I keep it from mom and dad? Or it may be that evil is done to us. God, how can you allow X to happen to me? Both can be managed by fear instead of turning to God for answers, right? The way in which we figure out what these, what these events mean in our lives, we manage that. Right? There's, a, there's, a phrase, um, there's a phrase in AA that talks about how your best thinking got you here, right? When you're at the bottom, when you're at the bottom of your addiction and you're trying to find help, your best thinking got you here. That's the way we are with sin and evil in our lives is our best thinking on how to manage the evil and sin in our lives gets us to the darkest place of our lives. What we have in Joseph is an invitation to manage, to let God manage what's going on in our lives around us. So, with all that said, we're going to turn to Joseph now. And we see in Joseph that trusting God with your life opened your heart wide open. And I think you're going to understand what I mean by saying a wide open heart, because I'm just trying to, I'm trying to lay on the drama of what happened to Joseph so that we see the profound reality of what happens in his heart. What has to happen in his heart for him to have this posture towards his brothers. Are you guys tracking with me? We're cool? All right. Verse 19, but Joseph saw them, but Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. All right. Generally speaking, in our lives, when evil things happen or bad things happen or just inconvenient things happen, right? We have a lot that we will say something along the lines of, uh, We have a lot that we have that will happen where we'll say something along the lines of, um, well, everything happens for a reason. Is that kind of something that you hear on a regular basis? Like, everything happens for a reason. We say that about just about, like, you have a car wreck, family member dies, lose our job. You know, when God closes the front door, he opens a window. That type of thing of, like, this sort of, like, everything happens for a reason. And I... I understand having a positive orientation towards the world around us, right? Everything does happen for a reason. But I feel like that sort of phrase is a little hollow when you say everything happens for a reason. But why did the Holocaust happen? Six million Jews 
exterminated because of some fascist agenda. Everything happens for a reason. It kind of rings a little hollow, right? Atomic bombs. You think of like a nuclear, I'm talking like big, big ticket items, right? Nuclear bombs, like that melt people in a second. One million people gone. Yikes. Everything happens for a reason. Turn the, turn the volume down just a little bit on that. Think about the bad things that have happened in your life. Everything happens for a reason. It just rings hollow. Like you kind of want to say like, okay, I'd like to talk to, you want to be the Karen about it, right? My mom's name is Karen, so it makes, it makes me laugh when people talk about Karens. But like, you're like, yeah, but I do want to talk to management about this because this does not make sense. Whose reason? Everything happens for a reason. Whose reason? Joseph brings us into understanding whose reason and who they and who they are, right? When Joseph says, um, "Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good." He's not saying everything happens for a reason. He is directly connecting what's happened to him as evil, and he's connecting it to God's plan, which he does not understand. Right? He is basically saying. I'm not going to get back at you, but I'm also not going to brush this under the, under the rug, right? He doesn't say, guys, don't worry about it. You threw me into slavery. You, you, you sold me into slavery. I'm just going to brush under. I mean, honestly, if any of you sold me into slavery, you'd be hearing about it every Christmas for the rest of your lives. I promise. It's, he doesn't brush it under the rugs. He doesn't even say like it wasn't bad, right? He calls it evil. What I want to do is I want to, I think what this is here for is to help us connect the beginning of the story of Genesis, the big picture things, to the individual realities of our own hearts. And this experience, what is it that this book is trying to do for us? Does anybody remember, I'm just going to, I'm going to ask a leading question here. Does anybody remember a point at the beginning of the book of Genesis where God, good, and evil, those three words are used? God created the tree of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. I get real close. Anything else? Does, is there any place at the beginning of the book of Genesis where the words God, good, and evil come to mind? Anything? I'm not trying to put you on the spot in front of all these people. <laughs> The Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil? Yes. It's a long title, right? I'm not sure who thought the title was a good title, Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil. Can we go to the next slide here? I just want to, I want to try to draw these together. This is Satan talking to Adam and Eve. For God knows that when you eat of it, that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. <laughs> You were right. Yeah, you were close. Partial credit, right? Half point, three, three quarters point, right? When Satan says this to, to Adam and Eve, he is basically saying to them, if you eat from this tree, if you disobey God and eat from this tree, you yourselves can define what good and evil is, right? You define it for yourselves. And here we have through the course of all this book, 
We have people who regularly over and over again, when they experience or commit evil, they try to manage it for themselves on their own terms, and they continue to have to get saved out of that process from God, by God. Now we hear at the end of the book, what does Joseph say? He connects these words again, but he reorients them. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Joseph has reframed, he's understood the orientation of faith is not, I get to get to decide what's good and evil, and God manages it. He's reframed it so that he understands God is the one who gets to write this story. People may mean evil for me, but God can write a story where evil turns to good for me. And I don't have to find the, the logical answer to everything. Right? He doesn't have to draw the line and say, well, you did X, but God accommodates it by Y, and that equals Z, <laughs> you know, that sort of thinking. God can write a story that includes you doing evil to me, and it be for my good, and I don't have to manage that. See, Joseph has done what Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of the brothers, all of their wives, spouses, everybody in this book up to this point has not been able to do. Joseph is the first person. And what's like, what, 2,000 years of, of a storyline? 1,000 years of a storyline that nobody else has been able to do. Joseph has an open heart. His heart has walked through evil and sin but he's walked through it with God. He's not committed evil and then trusted God to figure it out. He's walked through these evil and he's done it with God. You see, ultimately, evil must be dealt with. Our sin must be dealt with. Evil and sin must be addressed. These questions of how does God allow good things bad things to happen to good people. Why is there evil in the world? God, how do you allow sin in a good world? All of these big things, these big ticket items, they must be addressed. Right? The Bible doesn't just say like, eh, don't worry about it. They're written in our hearts so that we wrestle with them, whether it's our conscience about things that we've done or it's our sense of justice about things done to us. God does care about those things. The book of Genesis leads to an individual wrestling about this with God because God is invested in that story. He cares. He's not indifferent. See, ultimately, there is another tree of the knowledge of good and evil where the Son of God will Himself, we just read about it in our Scripture reading today, He will go up on this tree and He will stand in our place for the good that we thought we did that was evil and the evil that we did commit. And he will stand in our place for the judgment of those things. And just like Joseph, he will experience the death that we deserve so that others benefit from the life that he gets. You notice how Genesis, here it says, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me but God meant it, to, meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today.
See, Joseph experienced a type of death that others would live. We see this over and over again. This is, should start to kind of set off light bulbs in your head about all these other verses in the New Testament where, oh, Jesus died that we might live. That's a very common phrase in the New Testament. Just a couple verses here that I can throw up here. For Christ also suffered once for sins, that the, right, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Or Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, but God shows us his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Right? There is regularly over and over again through the rest of the Bible, a Joseph who dies so that his family might live. This is what happens in Jesus. This is, what we, this is why we're here, right? Jesus dies so that now we and his family get to experience this new life in him. This new life where we get to trust God. Our hearts are open. Okay, God, we can ask hard questions about this life, but we don't have to get the answers, but we get to ask the author. We get to say to God, right to his face, I do not understand. And him, because of his heart towards us, having dealt with our sin and victory over the death in our lives, he now gives us his ear and pays attention to us and wants to hear our concerns. This is why I, I was tempted in kind of compo- figuring out how to put this sermon together. Do I give an illustration of somebody like Joseph? You know, somebody had this, you know, this terrible experience and they were able to see that God was with them through that and then now they're an example for us. And I just thought, ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't want us to get into a comparison of whose evil's worse. You know, a comparison Olympics of which story is harder. Joseph is enough. I'm sure each of you have an experience of death and sin and evil in your own lives, whether that's a big E, evil, a small E, evil, whatever that is, that we, we look at that and say, God, I do not understand how you can have this happen in this world. And the point of the story is not to resolve the question. The point of the story is to show you that God is with you and hears you and is empowering you along the way to ask him questions about this because he himself is good and cares about you. I don't think that this story really resolves the questions, but it does lead us into knowing and experiencing God and knowing what he's like. Okay, I got a, one more thing to say, and then we'll be done and we can turn to questions. You guys cool? Dave, Dave, can I keep going? Keep going? All right. Dave says I can keep going. Last thing, and we'll close with this. A wide open heart gives God's mercy to the world. Did you notice verse 17 when Joseph's brothers are telling him this lie about their father to save their own necks. What does this text say? Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then it ends verse 21, Joseph saying, So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph is being lied to about his father. 
so that his brothers can save their necks. And yet here he sees them caught, stuck in their management of their lives without God, still trying to do this life without God. And he weeps for them. He doesn't call them on their lie. He addresses it for sure. But his heart towards them is, that has to really be a painful experience to be stuck. Guys, you're still doing the same old thing. And his heart's moved with compassion towards them. Right? Not just heart moved towards compassion, but you'll notice verse 21. He promises. He addresses their fear. So don't fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. He makes a promise. Right? I mean, when the vice president of the most powerful nation in the world makes a promise, it seems like he's going to follow through on it. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. These are his brothers who just lied to him, and he's comforting them. Right? There's something that's happened to Joseph's heart where he has now opened his heart so widely to God to trust God for this story, to trust God for this whole situation, that he now is returning to his friends, his family, who's lied to him with compassion towards them. Okay. What this does for us is it offers us a pattern for our own souls. As we experience death, the call of God to be open to Him and to trust Him with our stories and to trust Him with our lives opens our hearts to saying, you know what, maybe now I can become a vessel of God's mercy to other people who are stuck so that they might be able to ask their questions and experience God's comfort towards them. We see this just real quick. Galatians Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, right? That's not better. That's just people who are walking with Jesus. Should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And, this is the important part, so fulfill the law of Christ. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. The, to fulfill the law of Christ is to have a heart like Joseph, who entrusts that God can write the story for good and evil, and I want to know this God and be like him. I do not have to have the answers or write the checkbook answers for everybody's problems in life. I don't need to solve the problems of people's lives. I don't even give the answers. But there is a God who shows up, who listens, who is there, who hears us and overcomes the death in our lives so that we too can be like like Jesus and have a heart full of mercy towards those around us. And the point of the verse, do not grow weary in doing good. This is a daily thing. This is a weekly thing. This is regularly the point of our lives, right? When we engage with other people, how do we help us help each other understand the suffering in our lives? We continually point back to a God who is with us. Faith opens your heart to experience God through a world marked by death. My hope is that as we go into the week ahead, whatever we've experienced that's full of death, more importantly, we've experienced the presence of our God who's with us, who's overcome death, and Jesus who reigns over us right now.
Let's pray. God, as we have tried to make sense of this passage and close out this book, we we hope that uh, we ask that you would be with us and that amidst the this, the grand stage of things in this world that you know each of us individually and each of our stories and know each of our struggles. Would we experience your presence with us because you're near, you care, and you see us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.